Welcome to Girls Talk Cyber, GTC, the podcast to help young people feel empowered, educated and engaged on all things cybersecurity. My name's Em and I'm joined by my co-host, Jules. Hey everyone! In this podcast, we want to take away the tech bro cybersecurity jargon and give you the opportunity to understand this incredibly exciting space to help you redefine how you act online. We're going to be covering a wide range of topics this season, from teaching you how to bolster your online security, to interviewing amazing women in the field, and taking a peek behind the curtain into the dark web. And don't worry, here at GTC, we are a judgment-free zone. We don't want to scare you off Facebook or shame job you for clicking a link. No, 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 no. We're here to get you involved in the conversation and empower you to feel as though in the event of a cyber attack or a scary online occurrence, you have the tools and resources to deal with it. And to keep the conversation going, Jules and I have set up a Facebook group and an Instagram account for our GTC community to ask questions, share cybersecurity stories, and keep up to date with the latest cyber tips and tricks. Let's get into it. Em, have you ever tried Googling yourself? Oh my gosh, yes. Whenever I Google myself, there is this really embarrassing photo of me from when I was like 15 playing volleyball. Oh no. <laughs> Or I'm literally going to hit the ball, but it looks like I'm tasting a sour lemon. And to top it all off, I'm wearing a side ponytail. <laughs> it truly haunts me. No, not not a side ponytail. That's terrible. What can be worse? <laughs> um, but seriously, it can't be good whenever someone looks you up. No, it's it's truly not. Well, have you ever tried Googling someone else to find out more information about them? Yeah, all the time, actually. I feel like when I go on LinkedIn or when I'm trying to suss out if someone's legit selling me something on Facebook Marketplace, I'll go and find out more information about them with Google. Yeah, that's relatable. Um, and there's actually a name for this kind of thing. And no, it's not just, you know, hectic stalking skills because I know we all have them. Um, but gathering this kind of information is known as open source intelligence or OSINT for short. Well, there you go. For all those pro stalkers out there, you may be closer to a cybersecurity career than you first thought. And that's what today's episode is all about. We're going to dig down into what OSINT is, how it can benefit us and our lives, how it can be used in a borderline kind of creepy way, and we'll give you some tools and resources to perform intelligence gathering on yourself to see what anyone can find out about you right now based on what's publicly available on the internet. While it may be scary, the bad guys know this stuff exists, so you should too. And last but not least, we're also going to touch on how to protect your privacy online while still existing in the online space. Sounds like a jam-packed agenda. So let's jump straight in and start with what is OSINT? OSINT, as we mentioned earlier, stands for Open Source Intelligence. And according to SANS, it refers to the practice of collecting and analysing publicly available information to generate actionable intelligence. Right, so collecting and analysing information to make a decision. I actually think this happened to me the other day. Really? Do tell. Well, I was at my local shopping centre and I found a driver's licence on the floor, right? Mm -hmm. And before I went to the police, I searched up the name on Facebook because I had his picture, I knew what he looked like, I knew his name, and lo and behold, he came up. Bing, bing, bing. (laughs) So the good citizen that I am, I guess... You could say I analysed his profile and messaged him directly to let him know I'd found his ID and I dropped it off on the way home. So looking back, I didn't realise it, but I guess I performed some OSINT on the fly Mm -hmm. and generated a specific intelligence-led answer. 
like, there you go. You and probably a couple of other listeners out there, I imagine, are probably using open source intelligence more often than people think. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's a good way to segue into what OSINT is used for out in the real world. OSINT can be used for a range of different purposes um, by a range of different people. You know, everyone from journalists trying to get deeper information on events, law enforcement can use it to research people without needing a search warrant. And we all have those girlfriends out there who, you know, prepare for their first date with someone and they're checking on Facebook and Instagram and all the social medias to make sure that um, whoever they're meeting up with is who they think they're meeting up with. Exactly. Not a crazy stalker. Exactly. A really cool, I guess, more legitimate example of how OSINT can be used for the greater good is the National Missing Person Hackathon. Um, Now, this is an Australian thing that brings together ethical hackers and investigators to gather open source intelligence and find new leads on real life missing person cases. That's so cool. Yeah. Really, really cool. So in 2019 and 2020, these hackathons occurred a couple of times. All of the people who participated in the hackathon generated over 10,000 pieces of open source intelligence for the Australian Federal Police on 24 different Australian missing person cases. Wow, that's so cool. I love hearing about technology and people coming together like this to be used for the greater good. And when I was doing my research on the National Missing Person Hackathon, I saw that they could submit information such as recent photos, last known locations, and social media accounts that the police didn't know about. And they could link these all back to missing people. Yeah, I think this is really, really cool as well. And the way you win the hackathon in this case is all about the quality of information that you're providing to the AFP. So the better the information, the higher scores are from the judges. Either way, all these leads are given to the AFP and help solve missing person cases, or at least contribute to their leads. Pretty cool stuff. So we'll leave some resources in our show notes if you want to find out more about the National Missing Person Hackathon. So how else can OSINT be used? Well, ethical hackers and red teamers can use OSINT to speed up their knowledge and background information gathering on a client before they hack them. But before we dive too deeply into that, let's quickly touch on what an ethical hacker and red teamer actually is. Yeah, good idea. We'll give you a quick rundown because we do have an episode coming up on this in particular, so we won't spend too long on it. But basically, ethical hackers, the good guys, can be paid by a company to come in and attack the company's systems to see what damage they can do to kind of preempt what a bad guy could pull off. Yeah, this team is known as the offensive team because they are going in and actively trying to steal your stuff and look for holes and broken parts of your network. Like you said, M, red teamers will have signed contracts with these companies to say, do your worst within our house. Then... Tell us how you did it so we as a company can go in and fix those holes and, you know, patch up those systems um, that we might have missed before it's too late and before a malicious actor does the same thing. Exactly. So when a company asks for a red team's help, they generally give them little to no background of what their company is. So they might give them a name and an address, but that's it. So hackers will use open source intelligence, OSINT, to find out more information on the client quicker. A good example of this could be when red teamers start by searching the company on LinkedIn, for example, to see which employees work there, perhaps go through each of those employees' LinkedIn profiles at an individual level. Um, and then I've heard of cases where red teamers 
have actually seen images of, you know, ID cards um, in those employees' photos on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. and been able to replicate them and make copies of them to basically wave past the security guards to get into the company's building or, um, you know, security gates. So once inside, they could steal a laptop or access a server, um, pretending to be a legitimate employee. Yeah, that's so cool that they're able to make a whole ID card look legitimate based on a picture that they found on the internet. There's loads of examples just like this, um, which we could give of red teamers using OSINT. So let's pause there, I think. Now we understand what OSINT is, what it can be used for by not only us, but we're actually seeing that there is a range of different professionals that use OSINT for different uses. Yeah, exactly. OSINT is being used all the time. But we want to know how we can use it to our advantage at an individual level. What tools can listeners use to perform OSINT on themselves? Mm. How can we get a better understanding of what our online footprint is or our presence online? What information is already out there? Exactly. Let's find out. Mm -hmm. How can we get a better understanding of what our online footprint looks like? Yeah, these are really important questions to ask because being more aware of how present we are online can help you regain control of your online presence. Yeah, we don't we don't want to scare you off the internet here. Um, generating this awareness should empower you to make some more informed decisions about your online security. Okay, so Jules, what are the OSINT tools listeners can use today to check out the scale of their online footprint? There's loads out there. And we could go on for years, I feel, with all the different tools that are out there. But we've, we've picked only a few um, and hopefully these are most relevant to the listeners that are out there. So let's start with a really cool one. Um, this is a website called Have I Been Pwned? This answers the questions of what information is out there about you publicly after a data breach specifically. You just put in your email address and it should spit out um, all the data breaches that you've been involved in using that associated email um, and includes what additional details were leaked as part of that breach. So common information on individuals that we often see turn up is things like IP addresses, um, maybe passwords, usernames, gender, which is an interesting one, mm. and um, location. So we went over what to do if you were involved in a data breach in episode two. But Have I Been Pwned is a great way to figure out kind of what exact information is really out there. Have you got another tool in? Yeah, another tool you can use for OSINT gathering is potentially a little surprising because if you use the application Snapchat, you're probably already using this OSINT tool. This OSINT resource is all about leveraging information from Snap Maps, which is the location tracking function in Snapchat. It can be useful as it allows you and your friends to see where each other are on a map using your phone's phone location services tracking. However, it can also expose your exact location to people you may not fully trust. Exactly. And users can also use Snap Maps to upload a photo to a public location. Uh, let's say the Eiffel Tower in Paris, for example, um, which, you know, you might be there on holiday, you're taking pics, um, you're wanting to share them with all your friends. And if you share one of those photos to the uh, kind of like public location on a Snap Map, um, which is public, publicly available for anyone to see, when you do this, even people who aren't your friends can see that photo that you've just uploaded. They can see your username and now anyone can kind of see what you're up to and what your location is. Yeah, and they're not deleted from that photo location section either. So they can be up from like October last year. And another freaky part about Snapchat is it's possible to be able to remove overlays in your photos to get a clearer image. 
So say someone searches a public location near your house, like a park maybe, you've tagged that location, you've checked in, maybe a couple of cute stickers, someone can download this picture and delete the overlays to see whatever you were trying to cover up. Maybe it was a street name or faces of kids that you didn't want to put in a public image picture. Whoa, is that easy to do? Yeah, as reported by OSINT Curious, it is possible. The process seems quite technical, and without going into too many details to bore our listeners, it involves digging through the web browser's developer console to preserve the video, and then you are able to remove the graphical overlays there. Gosh, Snapchat is crazy. And I guess just a reminder that when we get to the end of this list of tools, we are going to talk about ways that you can limit some of these functions. What's next, Em? Okay, our next tool is a website called Account Analysis. This can be used to perform research on particular Twitter accounts. You input a username and it will output data which is publicly available and connected to that account. So it includes things like number of followers the account has, the time of day they have the greatest activity, the hashtags they use, number of interactions they have, like the list goes on and on. How can that be used by OSIN investigators though? It can be handy to see if a Twitter account is legit or just a bot posting at the exact same time every day or maybe following other bot-like accounts that aren't um, legit. Or it could be used to draw conclusions about people's tastes, I guess. So what are they engaging with? And then you can find out more about them. Oh, that's quite interesting and makes sense about the bot verification as well. I think that's just something I hadn't really thought about previously, but makes Yeah, sense. me too. Uh, have you got another tool for us, Jules? Yes, I do. So another OSINT resource. This one isn't technically a tool, but more of a function of a popular social media platform. Um, so Facebook. It's it's simply using the search function while you're looking at someone's um, profile. So you might already be using something similar or using the search function in things like Facebook groups um, when you want to search for a particular brand on a secondhand clothing group, for example. Um, it makes it a lot easier to troll through the results when you can just filter on what you want to find or what you want to search for. Well, this is the same type of search, but on someone's personal profile. And this lets you search for people they may be tagged in photos with, um, family members, hashtags, even individual words that people have used um, in posts or captions. So for example, if I'm wanting to look at someone's profile and I know their mum's name, maybe I want to see what their mum looks like. And so I can search that up in their, in their profile and then boom, there's like three different photos of mum and now I have a visual representation of what that person looks like as well as a first name and probably a last name. Yeah, and I think I use the search function all the time on Facebook groups. Like it's really interesting to know that this can be done on someone's profile too. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, let's give our listeners one more OSINT tool before we jump into recommendations on how to tighten up our online presence. Sure. Okay, last but not least, a really powerful OSINT tool is a platform called Multigo. This one is not free and it's actually pretty inaccessible probably to our listeners because it is very expensive, but we thought we have to include it because it's a massive capability for the OSINT space and it's pretty impressive to learn about. So basically you can input a range of different variables into it, like an email, a URL, people's names, and it will automatically, saving you time, analyze the real world relationships between these things based on the information that's already publicly out there on the internet. So it can return stuff like, who is this person? What are they related to? Do they own this website? Have they touched this document? Is this their IP address? Like the list could go on and on, but it gives you a visual representation in one go. So you can see this massive, almost like family tree looking picture 
of one person and all these relationships between them. So it's really cool, um, makes the lives of investigators a lot better because they're spending less time trawling through that information themselves and it's all centralised in one spot. Yeah, really cool. So it's actually like mapping out the different nodes, right? Different associations for things that whatever you're searching for is associated with and connected with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, crazy. A little bit scary to see it all mapped out in front of you. But again, if the bad guys can know about this stuff, you should too. Yeah, hearing about all these OSINT tools, I'm sure, was a little bit confronting. But as we mentioned in episode one, nobody could teach us this stuff growing up. Mm -hmm. We're kind of like the first generation going through it. And again, we always come back to the alcohol example, but our parents could teach us about the health risks associated with drinking too much alcohol, but they couldn't teach us about sharing too much information online and what risks does that bring to us as an individual and all the ramifications associated with it. Mm-hmm. But at GTC, we can't and won't let you remain ignorant to the OSINT tools out there. Because again, if the bad guys know they exist, you should too. Yeah, the ignorance was bliss while it lasted. Um, But Cyber Queens, I'm afraid it's time to rip off that Band-Aid and be aware of what information is out there about you and use it to redefine how you act online. 100%. And again, we'll leave resources to all these OSINT tools and searches we've spoken about in our show notes for you to go check out if you wish. Um, But we do want to rehash again. Only use these tools to perform OSINT on yourself and better secure yourself. You shouldn't be using these tools to breach others' privacy and start creepily stalking them without their permission. Yeah, for sure. Um, Now let's start talking about what you can do at an individual level to start regaining that control of your online presence, making some more informed decisions about how much info you have out there available to others and, you know, most of the time without even realising it. At GTC, we're encouraging positive changes to how you engage and exist in the online world. We don't want to scare you off the internet, but after running through all of these OSINT tools, should we address the elephant in the room, Em? Probably. If my information is scattered across the internet and all these tools are around to find it, how do I protect my privacy without completely exiting the online space? Yeah, it's a great question. So to answer this, we've made a quick and dirty list of things to consider when thinking about how to maintain your privacy whilst being online. You don't have to tick them all off, pick and choose what feels right for you, but it is important to know they exist nonetheless. Yeah, for sure. So first up is don't share more information than you actually need to. If you see a form is asking for any optional information like a middle name or phone number, just skip it. Don't give your information away unless you absolutely have to. You never know how this information will come back to bite you in the future. So next up is consider turning off location tracking services on your applications and social media profiles, just like we mentioned in our Snapchat example. So don't tag your geolocation data on your social media posts, photos and comments. If you want to keep location sharing with your friends, maybe do a run through of your friend list and double check you're happy with all of these people knowing your exact location at any minute. Yeah, I think that's a that's quite a big one. The the location tracking is um, quite a prominent one, I think, and the yeah. geotagging as well. Like anyone can see if you've tagged yourself at a location. So that's a big one. Um, next is to take a look at your application's permissions. So start with socials and see how you can tighten your privacy settings a little bit for these online accounts. For Instagram, this might look like changing your profile to 
private rather than being public. Um, Facebook has a lot, like a lot of privacy settings available to us now, which is fantastic to turn off the ability uh, for someone to search our profiles like like it's a search engine, um, which is really fantastic news. We can also lock down, you know, information like your likes, um, about information, whether photos are seen by everyone or only friends or only certain people. LinkedIn also has great restrictions if you're using LinkedIn in a professional context. Um, you can actually con- control the degree of separation that there might be on your account for people trying to search you. So, for example, I might be connected to Sally from down the road on LinkedIn and I may allow Sally's connections to see my posts, but I won't allow anyone to see them, for example, or have it publicly available. So have a think about what feels right for you in these situations and um, have an explore of all these really cool privacy settings um, and update them accordingly. Yeah, we can never be completely private in this online world, but we can lock down our profiles as much as we can. We'll link some handy visual resources on how to restrict settings because obviously it's a bit hard to do verbally Mm -hmm. um, in our show notes with step-by-step guides and pictures. Yep, definitely a better as a visual thing, I think. (laughs) Lastly, this one is a bit more of a general privacy practice. Um, Consider creating a few fake email addresses um, that can be used for your subscriptions to non-important accounts. So this might be your your shopping accounts or what you might use to get 10% discount or, or whatever it might be. This way, if it falls into the hands of a criminal or a dodgy person after a data breach, it's not really identifiable to you specifically um, or really that useful to anyone. Yeah, exactly. So that's our quick and dirty list of things to consider when thinking about how to maintain your privacy online and to make an OSIN investigator's job a little bit harder. And I think that concludes our episode on OSINT today. Well, for now at least. So let us know what you thought of this episode on our Facebook group or Instagram account because we'd really like to know. Yeah, we packed in a bunch of stuff today Mm -hmm. from what is OSINT to why we use it. We looked at tools you can collect information on yourself. Hello, have I been pwned? Mm -hmm. And also things to consider to tighten your digital footprint. Yeah. And I think it was also good to point out, while all this information is publicly available, we're not encouraging everyone to turn off the internet and get the pigeons back out to send letters. (laughs) We just want our GTC community to be informed on what's really out there. So we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week. See you then. Bye.